I would just love to hear, are there questions that would be helpful to talk about? We're going to record this. We're probably going to ask you to say it to the mic so we can hear, but then we're going to record this just in case that would be helpful uh, for the future. So Ryan has a mic. He'll go around with it uh, if you have questions. But yeah, I'd just love to hear comments, questions, clarifications, anything that would be helpful, uh, you think, to kind of to raise in this context. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything with that category? Uh, anything, I mean, broadly, I don't want to open it too much to say the whole Godhead that starts to, um, <laughs> but yeah, it, yeah. Well, yeah, I, you know, in relation to 1 Corinthians 13, uh, I do have a question, what you guys think. When it says here, um, you know, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So we know in part, we prophesy in part, when the perfect comes, the partial shall pass away. So what does that mean? What's the perfect? What's the partial? You want to go? Or you want Leo, I want you to address that. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, if you read on, he, he says, um, I, when I was a child, I spoke and thought I was a child. You read the whole thing, and it says, uh, okay. Toward my mouth. Okay. Very good. I just want to note, holding a microphone in front of people, it it looks easy and it is not. I just want to. Okay. I just want to note that. So the um, there will be those who would say that the perfect coming is. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Some would argue that the perfect is actually the completion of the canon of Scripture. We don't agree with that, and, and actually it isn't that because Paul says that it's, he says, when, I, when we, I will see him face to face, I will know completely just as I am fully known. The perfect coming is when we meet the Lord face to face. That is, uh, seems to be clearly what that's saying there. Okay, and how many of you know in your own hearts that yes we have the perfect word of god and that is as adam was saying to you that that that's that is primary that's fundamental that any prophecy or any gift of the spirit is subject to the authority of the word of god but he said we see through a glass darkly then we shall see face to face i don't know about you but i still see through a glass darkly there's still so much that i don't understand and there's uh, yes, I have the Word of God, but sometimes the Word of God, the specific Word of God, needs to be brought to bear on my life. And that's way sometimes a, a gift of prophecy will work. Say, somebody, you might come and say, you know, the Lord has placed a scripture on my heart for you, and I really thought of you. That's an example of the gift of prophecy. Yeah, um, I, I would agree with what he said. I'll just add one little bit. I, theologically, I agree that, that that's a category of not... Uh, when canon's complete or the scripture's complete or, you know, but just this is clearly a reference to Jesus's return. Um, and when the perfect comes, I will have, it will be impossible to see through a mirror dimly because we will see him in his blazing glory. And I don't think it's this illusion to like, boy, we, I, I think it's, it's meant to be so hope filled and so stirring of our hearts. Wait, 
Think of what God has revealed to us. Think of how we've experienced his love and his care and his, and his just tenderness and his mercy and just his, what it's like to be a child of God. And we only get that. We only experience it because of trials and circumstances and sin and just human fallen condition. It's like we're only seeing that dimly right now. But the blazing glory of God is coming. And when we do, there's no need to see dimly because it's all like... It's all we can see. And so I think theologically, it's pretty clear. We could, if it'd be helpful, we can talk more about that. But I think theologically, it's pretty clear it's about the return of Christ. But I think it's just this wonderful, not a technical, okay, it's only dimly. It's just this, oh, man, like, what is that day going to be like? Like, that, that that's what we see in full view um, rather than through a dim, yeah. So I don't know, does that answer the question? I don't want to, yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, and I would say just as a, an aside, so cessationists would use that passage um, to say, no, it's talking about when Scripture's complete and we have the canon of Scripture, and I won't break it all down. We could talk more aside if that'd be helpful. I just, there's a lot of arguments that I respect from people who I disagree with scripturally. That's just one. I'm just like, I don't know where I, I feel like there's a lot of connections being loosely drawn to really, I think, draw that real tightly on that one, so... Um, I don't want to, yeah, I don't like going around, to, well, here's why other theologies are wrong, but, um, but yeah, that's one I don't see. Mr. Tony? So I had a question about quenching the spirit, uh-huh. and I think many of us are aware of, like, the Benny Hills and the, and the super weird videos that we've all seen online mm-hmm. of, like, people being filled with the spirit, and I think the hesitation that we have when we talk about the subject would that be considered like quenching the spirit? Like we don't, we see what's, how it's been misused on YouTube and videos and stories. Uh, can our own reaction of like, I don't think I'm comfortable with that. Is that, would that be a sense of qu- quenching the spirit? It's a good question. Um, I'll jump in and then you can, yeah, finish off. Um, yeah, I think the idea of quenching the spirit, I, in some ways, I think it's, it's hard to know exactly what does that mean in precision and in all contexts. I do think there's a category where, and I think I was talking, tried to talk about this a little bit this morning, but we can be so aware of excesses and so aware of what's wrong with the gifts of the Spirit that we don't take, that we take our cues from culturally what's wrong around us instead of what has God revealed in this book? And so I think it, as I think about, okay, being dependent upon and expect, expecting the Spirit and not quenching the Spirit in my own life, it's like, okay, that starts with me taking my cues of what has God revealed in His Word, not what do I see in personal life where, they've, where just excesses have been. So I think a category of, um, you know, yeah, somebody had a bad reaction to a certain medicine, that must mean medicine's out. You know, I don't have a category for, you know, ibuprofen anymore. It just seems, well, in some way, like somebody misused this so I don't have a category for God working in spiritual gifts in certain ways today. I just think, well, I wouldn't draw that connection. Um, but, so as a category, but I think it can be helpful to be, okay, there, there's excesses, but most of our life, as it's just believers and people living in the phone, it's just, well, we want, like, there's excesses on extremes that we want to avoid, but what's it mean to walk in that, in that middle of just being dependent on the Lord, recognizing that, I can mishear, people have used that wrong, but I'm called to pursue and be, so I don't know if that answers the question. So I think there's a natural, I don't want to do that. 
I think it's quenching the spirit. And I don't want anything to do with anything remotely touching that. I just think that's a, I wouldn't, I see why people do it, but I just think that's jumping to another conclusion. Like to say, oh, I don't want to be part of Benny Hill's church is very different than, I don't want to be part of any church that experiences these gifts in any way. I just think, boy, that's a leap that I just don't see helpful for the Christian life. So I don't know. Is that, is that answer? Leo, would you add anything? Yeah, uh, the only thing I would add is something that actually makes reference to Ben's initial question, it's, and also this, is that you know, there are many people who kind of shy away from this because, well, you know, either because it's, it's something that they've never experienced at all, or they have seen weirdness, and they will look for a scripture like, uh, you know, tongue shall cease and uh, prophecy shall cease, and they can take that out of context because they will want to they will want to interpret scripture uh, as a means of, you know, how do I put this? Of they will allow their experience to interpret scripture, whereas you should uh, you should let scripture inform you. Okay, I'm not sure that it's a lot clearer in my head than that it wasn't the way I said it. Uh, but okay, we should always not we should never have our experiences and our biases cloud our interpretation of scripture on the contrary we need to look at scripture to inform our experience okay yeah, good yeah. Dan oh yeah, yeah. hello Danielle um, hi I have I think a two-part question okay in one of your previous sermons you talked about um sort of this idea that we <laughs> you're writing down I'm, I might need it uh, could be long we position ourselves to receive more of the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. and use the analogy kind of of the shower mm -hmm. and you know you have to you have to be where the water's going to flow mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, I was wondering if you could kind of flesh that out more in terms of what does that look like to position yourself and to to be asking the Lord for that just mm -hmm. a little bit more fleshing that out and then Secondly, <clears throat> how do I keep that from becoming works-based? Mm -hmm. Where it becomes, well, I'll receive the Holy Spirit if I take all the right steps, if I've done everything just right. Because that, to me, feels like a big barrier in terms of why, you know, are there yeah. like a specific checklist that I have to do right mm -hmm. to receive the Holy Spirit in certain ways? But yeah. that doesn't seem correct. Right. Um, do you want to go first? Well, the first to answer the first question, it, it can seem workspace, but it's I would look at more of it as uh, as means of grace. Uh, as as Adam mentioned earlier, I mean, uh, one of the ways that you'll be, for instance, uh, more likely to uh, to exercise a prophetic gift is if you are saturated in the Scripture. Okay, that uh, um, you know the Lord is going to bring scriptures to your heart unless you're, you know, vaguely familiar with what's in the book here. Uh, so, and be just seeking the, just leaning in, seeking the word, seeking God in, in the word, seeking him in prayer, just confessing your dependence on him. That's not really workspace. It's like you're in doing all of those things, you are actually saying, hey, I need you, God. Okay, I am 
I can't do this myself. I can't gin this up. I need you. I, I, I need your word. I need your Holy Spirit. So, so it, you are, in fact, you're reading the word a lot. You're praying a lot. You are leaning into the Holy Spirit a lot. That's getting in the shower. Okay. Um, does that yeah. seem workplace? Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I'll um, jump in. I think it's a good question. In some ways, I, there's not a formula. So I think, as a, you know, I use that analogy because it's what helps me. But even that, it's like, well, I think you're asking, like, well, what particularly does that mean? I think it just means some level. I want to pattern my life in a way that shows I am dependent on the Holy Spirit um, every day of my life. And so... What is, how do I position my, if I'm dependent, so if I'm dependent on food, and I am, I, I, I regularly have food, right? We, 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 like when we're low on groceries, we get more groceries. Like we, we pattern our life in a way to say, okay, we budget for food in our home, right? Like there's just a sense of like, okay, because I'm dependent on food, I have a plan for getting food. If I'm, because I'm dependent on air, I have a plan for living above water, not below it, right? Like there's just <laughs> this, there's this sense of like, okay, I'm dependent on these things. So I live my life reflecting that. So if I'm dependent on the Holy Spirit, how do I live my life reflecting that? In some way, I, I mean, it starts, whatever term, quiet time, or di- just this, this sense of like, I need to recognize that I need time with the Lord where I am as undistracted as I can be and as unhurried as I can be, where I'm receiving from the Lord. Um, so everybody's practice is going to be different. I work at home, so I don't have the commute that some people do. So for me, uh, believe it or not, actually most mornings I go to the gym, um, but when I come home, for me, I, I, I spend time with the Lord after that because, like, to me, that wakes me up in the morning. And so I'm more mentally awake after I go for a run than before. Like, when I wake up, I'm tired. And it's probably my worst hour of the day mentally is right when I wake up or right before I go to bed. So for me, it's, okay, do something to wake up, do something, get engaged with the day, do, you know, get, you know from, get the blood flowing, kind of get... And when I run, like either at the gym or in my just my, th- my mind starts racing. And so oftentimes it's just even used in prayer, but just this, okay, thoughts are coming to my mind and it just starts helping direct my attention to the Lord. And so I think, but it's that, so I, 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 for me, you know, I read a passage, but then it's just taking time to pray. Um, everybody's time's gonna be different. I'd love to say, man, every day I spend four hours, you know, I, I don't, but just certain days it's longer, certain days it's shorter. But it's just to me, it's starting my day and my active engagement of just, I need to give this time. The same way, because I'm dependent on food, I have a plan for how to get food. Because I'm dependent on the Holy Spirit, I have an active time where I'm going to seek him out in a way with, without the distractions that come with the rest of my day. Um, so I'd say that's one step. And so in some way, that's what I mean by position. It's just positioning myself to, to hear and to receive. To He speaks through his word, so to spend time in the word. Um, and then I, for me, I actively think through just, okay, what am I... What am I facing today? You know, so what, what's on the schedule? What's going on? You know, where are the kids at? And just praying for these things and just recognize the Lord needs to be the one to do these things. So going into, um, I mean, I had a, you know, a, well, you know, a, a counseling appointment, right? And so just even being able to, like, I, I can't say anything of value. Like, you need to be the one, Lord, to, to speak to them that will offer. Like, you need, to meet, you need to give me wisdom for how to care for them, to have insight, whatever, like, you need to do this. So I think just actively depending on in this way, like as I begin sermon preparation, like, Lord, I, I need you to give insight into your word, how to best care for your people. So I think it's just thinking through as a parent, okay, here's what kids are going through. Lord, would you direct them? Would you help me to know how to help in this way? You know, so I think it's just this active thinking through my day and the responsibilities people reach out to and just, Lord, and kind of 
from the outset, sort of acknowledging my need of the Lord, not depending on myself. I think from a not being works-based, I, I mean, I don't know how one does, other than it's a check in my own heart. Like, I'm not doing this because I'm trying to, this isn't me checking the boxes. This is me just recognizing, like, I'm just convinced if the Lord doesn't do, like, if the Lord doesn't r- arrive and minister and meet his people and give me words, I've got nothing. Like, that's just, like, I can't, uh, I've parented long enough to know, like, I can't affect the heart of my children. Like, God can affect their hearts. I can't, like, God can't affect the hearts of my neighbors, of, of anybody I meet with. Of, I, I, you know, there's times I read this book and it jumps out, and there's times I'm reading them like, yeah, that's that. what does that mean? You know, I mean, like, I can't bring understanding to my own mind, much less of, have any effect on anyone else. And so I just think what helps it is just the, the realization that it's not a formula. It's not a, it's not a process. It's just, right, like, I am, I am dependent on the Lord. So it's just, to me, it's facing that reality. And he's, and he's eager to give. Like, just, um, I'm dependent, and he's generous, and that's as close as I get to a formula um, with it. And so I think for me, it's just, it, to me, it's not working. Now, I, so I think these are practices I do. Do I think that like, the Lord's not dependent on my prayer. So if I didn't pray before a meeting long enough, uh-oh, that means the Lord won't meet. I do think there's enough. Like, no, it's not dependent on my prayer for that meeting. But I think these are ways of me, not, I don't think being works-based, but just recognizing my need and the need of others um, that don't feel work-based to me, but um, just an act of desperation that is true whether I acknowledge it or not. So I don't know if that, yeah. So, I don't, yeah, good. Eric, oh no, Jonathan. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. So this is kind of a convoluted question, but wanted to think through um, like the specific spiritual gift of apostleship. Mm-hmm. I, was, I think this is just more more of a question of clarity. Whenever we've talked about how um, all the gifts of that are mentioned are still existing now, where mm-hmm. I think I've always believed in the past that apostleship was if you've only only if you've like seen and lived with jesus mm-hmm. and so what does that look like now um for us and how does that play out in the church today yeah um yeah i would say there are no more apostles with a capital letter a um that we um that we so nobody's writing scripture um if they are they're incorrect in writing script you know i mean just the uh there are no Apostles, as I yeah, one of the marks of an apostle was that they saw the resurrected Christ, um, that they had been with, that's where I think even, uh, so there are no more um, apostles as in the original apostles uh, in the life of the church. Um, so, yeah, so that, that's clearly, and I do think that gift ended as that role ended. Um, and I even think we see, a, you know, at time, I don't think because these gifts are ended, I think we see certain gifts that seem to accompany the apostles more than they accompany other re- everyday Christians as they're going through it, because so op- because the apostles were so often used in this apostolic breaking ground work, and so that signs would often accompany them, so that others would see and be like, oh wow, God, God's real. Like the, it would give credibility to their message. So, um, so th- yeah, though that type of apostle has ended, um, and draw a pretty clear line. I do think there's a smaller line line where I would say, I think there's still this apostolic ministry in the life of the church that's not like Paul and Peter were apostles, but groundbreaking ministry on behalf of, 
for the sake of the gospel that goes. So when I think of people, like that missionary, because we're recording this, I won't use their names, but that missionary couple that, or family that was sent to Thailand, I say it, they're not apostles, but there's something apostolic about going and being the first in and being willing to suffer for the sake of Christ and put on their, to make Jesus known where there is no gospel presence and to break new ground. And that takes leadership and vision and passion and just a, a clarity of direction that it's not apostolic in the same way, but what I call that, there's something apostolic-like in that, so I would see that gift, but I would see the proper role of apostle of having passed away because they all died. So not passed away because, not, but because now the Lord, the God has transitioned us from writing scripture to scripture written and having it. So I don't know, that. so yeah, that's where I'd say the gift, in that sense, that role has ceased, but not the, any gifting that might associate with that, with these. Yeah. You, yeah. The, yeah, um, the word that in the New Testament, which is translated apostle, means someone who is sent out. Okay, so there's the capital A. Yeah, the people who were were people who lived and walked with Jesus, and who uh, one of the specific criteria is that people actually saw the risen Jesus physically. Uh, so those are the capital A apostles. There are others who, you know, you know lowercase a, people who were sent out, people who were sent out to, like, for instance, uh, going to Thailand and so forth. Uh, in our history as a denomination, we used to use the term apostolic team. We don't use that anymore. We used it with, with some sincerity, but in our, I guess in time we realize it's probably not wise to use that term because it's very misunderstood. Yeah, I think it's confusing yes. as a term, but yeah. yeah. Does that answer that, Ben, or ben, um, Jonathan? Yeah, good. I'm looking at Ben, but yeah, yeah, whoever. They all, all look the same to me. Um, yeah. uh, during community group, we were discussing it, and uh, the, we were reviewing, like, the gifts of the Spirit, and a lot of them, um, the, the non-miraculous ones like faith and uh, contributing and generosity and leadership, and we were discussing the, the overlap between that and just, like, I think traits of righteousness that we're called to pursue so is there a difference between, like, you know, your, the, the righteous character of faith and a gift of faith or a character of generosity and a spiritual gift of generosity? And is it helpful to think in those terms, or is it all kind of one, one thing empowered by the Spirit? And how should we think, be thinking about that? Yeah, I think uh, it's a good... Um, I don't know that it's super helpful to draw, like, these... Th- big distinctions. Was this a a, a result of, is this a character result because of the way God has worked in my life? And is this a gift that he's given to work in my life? In some ways, I think just in the practical outpouring, we're just called the, as we pursue the Lord, pursue others, these just flow. I do think there's a, there is a difference though. So we're all called the faith, right? But I, and you guys, some of you in this room are this, where you talk to somebody and immediately they just, they're just in faith for, for something like this is a big thing, but they're just immediately just seems to be imparted this gift of faith to walk through this or to go, you know, to, to see this, um, that there's certain people that, you know, I think just their, their instinct is just like, how do we be generous in this situation? Where I think that's a character thing, but also I think God's wired them just in a certain way, has gifted them in a certain way to think 
like other people are going to be wired to be like, okay, now how do we walk in wisdom? You know, what's it look like to balance all the, you know, and just other spiritual gifts that work for the, but just this immediate, like, all right, I'm all in. What does that look like? You know, and so just the heart inclinations that follow that. So I do think there's distinction between the gift and the character, but I think in outworking, I don't know that we need to say, okay, was this, am I, in, am I being generous now because that's a fruit of God in my, of godliness in my life or because it's a spiritual gift, but just this, I think practically there's overlap but theologically, there's a subtle distinction. So, I don't know. Is that my... Michelle, why don't you ask a follow-up on that? So then, how should we think about it if we have giftings or characteristics that we walk out in faith outside of the church? Um, or unbelievers have mm-hmm. a lot of those gifts as well. So how do you distinguish between what is a gift of the Spirit for the edification of the church versus what might be a gift or a characteristic um, that's, that someone might have, whether they are a believer or are not a believer. Um, how, do you, how do you distinguish between? Well, now we're getting into things like, for instance, I would, God has, gives us common grace to believers and non-believers alike. Uh, he says he causes the sun to rise on the righteous and the wicked. And I think it's, that can kind of delve over into this area as well. There's some people who probably have no time for God, but they're genuinely good people. And that is the grace of God. Um, and even um, there are things that we do quite naturally uh, were part of our character even before we were saved, that was still the grace of God. Uh, now we have, and it was, I would even say, because God is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is God, yeah, that's that's the Holy Spirit. But again, I'm, I think I'm going to let you take over on this one because I'm going to start to ramble. Yeah, I think um, it's a good question. I think in some ways we don't always know the lines, so I think there's just not always going to be the, the straight lines. I think God's, yeah, and just his goodness and his mercy and in his just common grace to the world. Obviously, I mean, we all know people that like, man, like they don't know the Lord, but they're really gifted in this area. And, and I don't view that as a spiritual gift, but just a, a natural ability. In some ways, I think oftentimes when we are converted, God gives us new spiritual gifts and new gifts and abilities that we did not have. I think oftentimes our spiritual gifts really become sanctified ordinary gifts that he gives us. So for the purpose of, of the kingdom. And so even I, I might use this gift in a work context that doesn't seem kingdom related, but man, like most of our jobs, right, at some level, if they're for human advancement, if they're hu- for human flourishing, if they're for the good of others in the broad category, in that broad way of just, yeah, they're, you know, like uh, I'm a trash collector and my job is picking up so that the world looks less, so the world is, is more beautiful and so that people, you know, just all the, the blessings that would come with somebody collecting trash, boy, they're, it's helping, you know, restore the natural beauty that's there. It's helping people, you know, get the trash out of their home. Even that can be used for the glory of God because it's like, yeah, because like I'm, I want to use that gift and however I do that to, to, to serve my fellow man. So I think in some ways spiritual gifts are often, in a sense, more sanctified ordinary gifts that he uses. But how can I use this, nat- this seemingly natural gift but for the service of, of the people around me, of the good of those around me? And that might be vocationally, 
um, might be in church, but you know, like I'm, um, I don't know what spiritual gifts go to this, so I'm uh, coaching a youth flag football team this spring, right? And um, our team's one and one, so I don't know how gifted I am, but there's this sense of like, okay, God's, like whatever, like he's given me certain gifts, I'm like, I'm not using that for the sake of the church, but I do think I'm using that on a mission to be, I, God's given me real just opportunity with these, you know, 12-year-old boys to just be part of that world. And so I just want to use this desire I have and some giftings I have in this area just for his service. And I don't know that we need to draw, I think we tend to draw wrong lines. Okay, this is official church service and non-church service and everyday service. So I think it's much more viewing all this is to be used for God and his glory, but it outlets look different in the world around me. So... Ryan. Oh, sorry. Oh, did, or did you have somebody else that I, I just saw Ryan? Oh. Oh. Okay, Paul first. But we're going to move quickly so we can get to Ryan. Okay. Um, so in verse 5 of the passage from today, it says, Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. I'm just curious what the meaning of greater is. Yeah, I think... Um, more useful. <laughs> yeah, more useful. I think it's not... He's not ascribing a value and dignity to that person. So, oh, that per You know, like there's a hierarchy of Christians, so the one who has that gift. I think it's, as we think of these gifts being deployed in the church, he is... And we're going to talk about tongues next week, so we'll talk about this more, but he's advocating, again, for speaking in tongues and their place in the Christian life. But recognize because it's of its uniqueness and because it's an unintelligible language to the hearer um, that without interpretation, its usefulness is limited in the corporate gathering. And so that prophecy has a greater function within that, like a, 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 a it, it just a more just, yeah, I, there, there's a way that prophecy is really used in the gathered church. Unless it has an interpretation, then it can really be used well in sort of the cor corporate gathering. So I think that's how he means it, is that this, hey, look at what's the effect of it, what, what's the gift for? Well, the purpose of this is the church gathered. The purpose for this is, is, is different. And so let's recognize when we're the church gathered, which gifts would be greater and just better to use in our midst. So I don't think he's making a value judgment on the person, but just the usefulness of that gift in that moment. So, yeah. Um, I think you might have the same answer for mine, but I'm going okay. to ask it in my way. It's almost the same question. Um, so today you preached, um, earnestly desired the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Um, so my mind thinks if, uh, if prophecy is to be desired above, above other gifts, then it's, its value and importance is also above other gifts. And, um, and then looking at some other scriptures, um, I also see earlier in 1 Corinthians 12, where he's listing out, um, he says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles? Um, and then again in Ephesians 4, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. So I see two separate examples of, of kind of like a hierarchy um, and with uh, prophets directly following apostles. So again, that kind of confirms for me um, like a level of importance. So mm -hmm. if you could just speak to that. Yeah. You wanna? No, why don't I okay. go? <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I think it's... Um, I think there is a level to prophecy um, that... Uh, I was um, trying to figure out how I want to frame my answer in a way that's not confusing um, to anybody but me. I do think Paul wants to give prophecy where it was being misused and being mishandled and elevate it, but, but it's still really good and to be desired. It's a good gift. It's not just a gift. Like, it's a really good gift for God's people. And I think he wants to say, despite the excesses and the misuse, there's a way that this really can look and help really give direction and vision and clarity to God's people who desperately need that. Um, so I think, yeah, I would affirm that. And I do think there's something about this gift where Paul's sort of saying, hey, we'll desire it all. I don't think he's saying all have the gift of prophecy. So I think it's just this, I think he was kind of speaking out of this human desire for, boy, wouldn't it be great if we all had this gift? But I think it is this, it doesn't, the church doesn't function well if everybody had the same gift all the time because we'd all be running towards the same area of ministry all the time. But I think prophecy is one where it's like, boy, if we all had this gift, that would still seem to operate pretty well. Together. You know what I mean? There would still be this operationally, that could really work. Now, we want to probably spread out when we use, you know, how, how God, but just the sense of, because prophecy is really used with, with ministering to other people, and we're all called to this personal ministry of other people, like, boy, prophecy can fit us. So I do think there's a sense in where it's unlike other gifts and that there is a little bit of, for, for Paul, I think a, the more the merrier um, kind of kind of thing. I don't know that he's drawing distinct. So when I think of, like, I don't think he's ranking the gifts. Like, this is gift one, this is gift two. But the sense of, don't, I think he's being careful. I think we can all see pretty naturally. How does, how does administration, how does generosity work in the life of the church? I think it's pretty clear. Like, I think he's really arguing for this. Don't minimize the gift of prophecy. There's something really good about it. And there's something away, but particularly prophecy is used, and I say for me, particularly in the Western world where we're very intellectually driven, where we're very systematic theology driven, and our, like just this, it, it's not just an intellectual un exercise to hear from the Lord and, and to give to his people, but there's something that God is addressing particularly our hearts towards to stir our affections and our confidence that's that's really unique and great in that way so i don't know that i mean so so it's gift number one or gift number two but the sense of don't minimize this gift and you know and with the pro i think with the prophet with the first he gave apostles and prophets i think there he's actually just giving an order of which kind of these things came in the new Testament. okay first apostles came and wrote script and then these other roles came for the ongoing instruction and insight into scripture in an order in that way so i do think there's it's more of a of a technical order than a a ranking so i don't know if that answers your question so i do think it's this weird like i don't think he's ranking but i do think he's he's highlighting and prioritizing you know what i mean like he's i think he's not just like yeah prophecy you know if you got like i think he's really saying pursue this gift you know and even in a church where it's not being handled right pursue this gift in love so that he's not so i don't think he's elevating it in a hierarchical way, but he, I think he's elevating in a, I think many churches think we can kind of get by without this. No, let's be about this gift and let's really, let's seek it and go after it. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of best I can. And specifically yeah. in, in 1 Corinthians, he's, he's addressing a situation where obviously there was 
general chaos in uh, in their meetings between you know tongues and prophecy and up one-upmanship and so forth. He says, I wish you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you prophesied. And why was that? Because, well, as was said earlier, is because prophecy is something that, you know, people can wrap their arms around. That could actually uh, help people in the church. It builds up the church. So he says, oh, so when someone speaks in tongues, the only thing he's doing is he's He's doing something good. He is edifying himself. Tongues are valuable for self-edification, for uh, just, uh, it's the spirit that is inside of you, and it's building you up. It's not doing the person next to you any good whatsoever. But when you prophesy, uh, you could very well be doing that person a lot of good because he's actually hearing something intelligible that he really needs to hear. All right, last question, just so for the sake of teardown, um, why don't we do one more? Ms. Cranin. So um, having grown up in the church and around what, to me, kind of feeling caught between two extremes of either excesses or um, to the point of depersonalizing the Holy Spirit to an inanimate force <laughs> instead of one of the persons of God, how do we culturally, um, not just theologically talk about it, but culturally practice acknowledging the Holy Spirit as one of the persons of the Godhead and and as we look to the next generation guarding against those two extremes Mm -hmm. um, because I think in practice it has seemed like God the Father and Jesus have really been the emphasis and then the Holy Spirit has been that supernatural outworking that is like "Mm, dicey business Mm -hmm. instead of really understanding and embracing him as part of who God is yeah yeah, it's a great question. Um, um, and um, one that requires a lot of ongoing thought and attention. Um, and in some ways, I would say, may that be one of, may we all just do that, walk in this. We're not, we're not resistant, but we're not living in this extreme, and we're not depersonalizing the spirit or creating, he's this mystical force around us that... Um, I, I don't want to cooperate with, but he just forces me to do things at time, you know, just this sense of he, he's good. So I think in some ways that's an ongoing just call and challenging of God's church is to do this. Um, I think some ways, I think your question is, is a helpful kind of beginning of an answer of like, so we, we talk about God like he, like not as God, as he's revealed in scripture, that's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit that they each have different roles in salvation, they each have different roles in life. One of the, the Spirit's role is he reveals Christ to us. So I think the Spirit is actually delighted when we make much of Christ. He's not like, well, I got short change. I think there's a sense of, no, I, he delights to help us see Christ clearly. Um, but I think to, to recognize the Holy Spirit really is, is active. He, he's a person. He, he's, he, he's a person present uh, every time we gather as God's people. And so I think talking about him in those terms, that, we're, we're, um, that we want him him to lead us as we gather. He want him to, to guide us and direct us. Um, so I think talking about the Holy Spirit in, in, is in some ways practical terms of here's, here's what he's doing in our midst, here's, here's what he looks like. I th- I've been helped by people that just talk about the Holy Spirit and when they talk about him, they're just, they're talking about the Holy Spirit as like the same way people talk about Jesus. Like, hey, Jesus is somebody they have a relationship with. They talk about the Holy Spirit as somebody they have a relationship with. You know, just I was, as I was listening, the, the Spirit you know, seemed to be, you know, put this on my heart or whatever. So I think in some ways there's going to be just 
building a culture where as we have relationship with God and as we relate to the Holy Spirit, being able to talk about it and not being weird, well, what if that sounds kooky to the new guy? But just know, like the Holy Spirit is somebody we relate to. Um, and I think culturally, I'm, I'm really, I'll say in our tr- point in church history where we are as Living Hope Church and with who you have as your lead, as your lead pastor, I, I'm less concerned about us driving off the cliff of excess um, and really more concerned about how do we actively depend and regularly pursue. And so I do think, think taking time in care group to talk about that, to, 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 to even, you know, if you're singing in care group, to be able to, you know, for somebody to say, hey, um, if God's laid a burden on your heart, something to pray for, let, let's do that. I think the Holy Spirit might want to minister to, to us tonight. And so just having that be a regular part of, of what it looks like as we, as we just gather as his people. Um, I think just a, a reverence for the Holy Spirit's holiness and character that when we talk about sin, one of the consequences of sin is it, it grieves God. It grieves the Spirit. Um, oh, like that's, that should break the hearts of God's children, just the, the sense that we sin all the things that we believe about the gospel and forgiveness and reconciliation, restoration, but just, I don't want to walk in a way that, that grieves the one living inside of me and actively empowering me. Um, so I don't know, I think just talking about the Holy Spirit, like we're not just talking about somebody who we're waiting to show up and then pour out a particular manifestation and then go home, but one we regularly relate to, one we, you know, we depend on in our daily lives, um, and just, I think, a culture of that, like, we're, we're just actively dependent on the Spirit as people, and when we gather, we actively depend on Him together. Um, it's probably my first attempt at an answer towards that, um, and I think individually, living in faith, living in expectation, and not living in excess, and then a bunch of people doing that individually in community, I think, helps create that kind of culture. But I think it's an ongoing, I mean, I'd say it's not a hey, we're going to address that one Sunday, you know, we'll do our, our, our annual, you know, Sunday on walking the, walking in the Holy Spirit, check that box. I think it's this active as people just living in lives of increased holiness and dependence. What's that look like amongst us? So, yeah, that's my, that's them. So, yes, sir. All right, last, last question. Yeah, oh yeah, sorry, yes. So, uh, we don't refer to you as the Adam or the Leo. Likewise, we don't refer to God and Jesus as the God, the Jesus. Mm-hmm. We might say the Father, the Son, the Spirit, but why do you think we refer to Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit? Um, like why use the word the? Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know that I have a good answer for that. Other than I... Th- um, I do think it helps delineate. I'm thinking as I go, you, I didn't, um, didn't prepare for that question. Um, I do think it helps delineate between a, a general sense of, I think it helps give him a, a unique personhood within the Trinity versus sometimes I think people talk about the Spirit of God and it's not clear, are they talking about the Holy Spirit? Or are they talking about a general sense of God? And, and so, I think, so I think it does help in some way personalized. No, we're talking about this member of the Trinity um, and who he is within that and and a particular relationship I have with him. But I don't know, so that'd be my best guess is more probably why I do it, but I also just probably do it out of habit and not out of 
why don't I call him the Jesus and the Father? You know, I do think we could refer to him as the Father at times. Um, yeah. I don't know that I, like when I talk to him, I don't usually refer to him as the Son. Um, but yeah, I think at times we refer to them in, yeah, these different, I don't know. Yeah, we do call him the Father and the Son. Yeah. Um, but I think more in communication, I would probably say the Holy Spirit and Jesus and God the Father. I do think I do God the Father probably more than so. But when, when we pray, we, if we address the Holy Spirit prayer, we, we say, hey, Holy Spirit, please come. You know, yeah. Holy Spirit, um, come alive in me, as we sang this morning. So, yeah. uh, okay. so. Um, for sake of time, um, we got, if you have other questions, we'll stick around. Um, but I do know we need to be torn down and actually put away at some point. A uh, reminder, we'll meet tonight at 7.